welcome to the Evoke Ag podcast, the show where we take a look at the ag tech and food innovations changing the future of farming. Hello and welcome to the AgriFutures Evoke Ag podcast. I'm your host, Steve Honor. This week, our VOCAG contributor, Ken Eastwood, interviews two interesting characters from Kangaroo Island, South Australia, who have formed a partnership that's benefiting both their businesses and the environment. The first is Charlie Schmidt, head distiller at Kangaroo Island Spirits, who has overseen the rapid growth of the distillery with a focus on making it more sustainable. The second is elder stock agent, Stuart Weir, who is a small cattle operation on the island. He has begun feeding his cattle the waste malted barley from the distillery, preventing it from going to landfill. The cows are loving it, and it's set to offer multiple benefits for the environment, including reducing methane emissions by the livestock. As businesses across Australia adopt more sustainable practices, many agribusinesses are leading the way. They're reducing power and resource consumption, cutting carbon emissions and finding alternatives in waste management. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Charlie, I read on your website there that it's Australia's first gin distillery. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. That's correct. So founded in 2006 by John Sarah Lark. Uh, so you might know the Lark name from the Lark Distillery in Tasmania, and they're sort of renounced their single malt whiskey. Um, yeah, the Bill, Bill the distiller down there who started Lark, his brother John, is the uh, the guy who started yeah Kangaroo Spirit. Okay, and 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 so how did your involvement come about then? Uh, so a couple of years ago, John Sarah Lark sold the business to Mighty Craft. Yeah, um, and you know, Mightycraft had visions of expanding the business and increasing production and sort of spreading the reach of Kangaroo Spirits. And as a part of that, they were after a new head distiller. Yep. And um, sort of through fortuitous circumstances, I sort of you know, I saw the job on seat and uh, applied for it, and not too many other people did. And I had a chat with John, and he seemed to think I was the right guy, uh, right sort of age and right experience, and so I moved down and well, basically learned gin, and uh, my sort of role was to bring whiskey to the distillery as well. So part of that expansion that Mighty Craft had in mind for Kangaroo and Spirits was to do a whiskey program yep. and uh, start producing single malt whiskey. So that's where I was going to learn gin and bring whiskey to the table. So it was a bit of a take and give, you know. So, sounds, sounds fantastic. Now, now, how on earth do you become a, a head distiller? <laughs> I get asked that a lot actually. Um the answer is I don't really know. It's sort it's kind of um through experience basically and so I started while well, I was in the military for a while and then I left that to become a brewer. Couldn't find work as a brewer after I did a you know, course at TAFE, it was just hard to get in anywhere. Uh but the first sort of part of brewing is transferable to making whiskey and my dad makes single malt whiskey. So I thought I'd help him out a couple of days a week, you know, improving his his efficiencies and processes. And through that, I sort of learned the rest of the rest of the game of distilling, and you know, discovered that it was actually uh, quite enjoyable and quite 
fun. And is there uh, some sort of course you do uh, along the way as part of that? There are there are courses available. So sort of international uh, Institute of Brewing Distilling has a few online courses that are internationally recognised. But in terms of uh, like qualifications in Australia, there aren't heaps. It's it's more like short courses on how to distill. There's not like a signed off trade of you know you're a qualified sanctioned head distiller. It's it's not industry in that regard. And in, in terms of distilling in in Australia, like is the is the Kangaroo Island distillery like? Are, are you where do you sit? Are you a sort of a medium operator or one of the larger ones? Um, well, yeah, it's sort of in all in reference, isn't it? So <laughs> we're oh, geez, no, good question. So we're, we're re- relatively um, we've been around a long time, right? So we're renowned in that regard, but in terms of scale, we're not the biggest. In Australia, but we are growing. So we're sort of, I'd put us sort of in volume wise, sort of low to middle. And um, in terms of quality, up there with the, with the best of them. What day did you say it, it kicked off the distillery? Uh, 2006. So the rise of distilleries since then must be, if that was the first one, first gin distillery in Australia, I mean, there's quite a few oh, around yeah. now, aren't there? So oh, it, yeah. it's a burgeoning industry. Mm, booming, S- similar to the way that craft breweries sort of boomed, uh, gin distilleries boomed as well. So, you know, back when they started, there weren't more than half a dozen or a dozen distilleries in Australia. Now there's, you know, several hundred. Yeah, yeah. And, and you were talking about volume before. So, and what sort of volumes, uh, how do you even describe volume in, in uh, gin? Is it, is it by litre or, um, or? Yeah, or what? Yeah. Talk to different people and they'll say some things that I go by liter. Yep. Um, but it's, it's it, we produce between one and two thousand liters of gin a week at the moment. Wow. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, two years ago, or year and a half ago, two years ago when I started, yeah, uh, we were doing maybe six hundred to a thousand liters a week. So we've yeah, we're ramping up. And is that sort of sold to? What one of the major distributors, or a lot of it, most of it sold on island, or what? So originally, most of the three sold on island, um, and yep. then we had the direct consumer through the website. Uh, but now we we're into your coals have taken us on, so we're going through a lot of their retail outlets and EDG, so sort of uh, Dan Murphy's and a few others have taken on some of our products and some of their stores. So that's all happened in the last twelve months. So you know it's really sort of kicking off now and we're working flat out to keep up to be honest with you it's a good problem to have <laughs> yeah that's right yeah. Um, although I, I imagine it, it can be difficult getting labour on, on Kangaroo Island yeah nail on the head is the biggest challenge we have for sure for sure yeah. so you know with yeah. a small island everyone knows each other no one wants to work nights or weekends <laughs> it's just all the normal sort of challenges and finding people who are skilled and have the right attitude um, yeah, especially yeah. when there's no like, it's difficult to find sort of qualified distillers anywhere. You're looking for that experience, yeah. and there just isn't that on the island. So we have to do a lot of training. And in, in addition to that, yeah, there's of course the labour shortage right across the country. You know, at the moment with um, yeah, yeah particularly yeah. in ag. Tell me about uh, some of the botanicals you use. I, I believe quite a few are you uh, from the island. Like, is a thing like things like eucalyptus leaves and those sorts of things. 
Um, so botanicals we use, yeah, predominantly all the traditional gin botanicals like juniper, coriander, uh, angelica root, that sort of thing. Um, but we do try and use botanicals from the island, obviously. With so many distilleries around the country and around the world, like you need that point of difference to stand out and to be unique. Yep. And being on Kangaroo Island, we have that advantage. So there's a native juniper called Bubiala, which we harvest every year and, and throw in there. We grow our own sort of mint in the garden that goes into the wild gin. Uh, we go foraging for Illyria axillaris, the coastal daisy bush, which uh, goes into our origin as a key ingredient. Uh, a lot of the fresh citrus we use is from people's backyards in the island and they'll bring in the fruit and uh, trade it for gin. And we yeah, sit there and peel it, basically. So it's, we try and do what we can to, uh, to source local. Yep. And uh, it's only when it's not feasible or not cost-effective that we look sort of elsewhere. <laughs> that, that sounds like a great arrangement. You bring in your, your, in your fruit from your garden you get, and you get gin in return. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. So, you know, we try and sort of have, especially for our liqueurs like limoncello and uh, zinzerino, it's predominantly fruit peel. So, yeah. yeah, it's good when you put it out on Facebook and then... You just have several hundred kilos come in over a couple of weeks. Now, uh, I believe you are doing great things in terms of sustainability and, and that, that's a real focus, trying to reduce waste and all those sorts of things. Talk us through some of the things you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. So well, distilling is quite an energy and water-hungry sort of industry. You use a lot of water. You use a lot of um, energy heating things up, cooling things down, and you go through... when making whiskey in particular, you go through a lot of grain. So where we can, we're looking at um, ways to use byproducts and uh, reduce water usage and electricity usage and, and diesel usage. But you know, something we've sort of done recently uh, with stew is when when we use the grain to make the whiskey, we've basically removed all the starch and converted that sugar so the yeast can convert it to alcohol. And what's left over is... Like crushed grain with the, the flour removed and it's mostly just husk and protein and fibre and um, you know in, in Scotland there's a history of distilleries giving that to farmers for cattle feed and so here um, and across Australia it's, it's starting to happen as well and it's quite common in breweries so but no one does it on the island so you know I met Stu at Squash I reckon and I uh, got chatting and yeah, he's keen to give a go. So basically what happens is we'll go through a couple of tonne of grain or malted barley a week and then once we've got all the sugar out, Stu comes by, picks it up, takes it out and sort of gives it to his cattle and they love it apparently. I've gone out and seen them and, you know, it's funny watching them run across the paddock to, to come and get it off the tractor. It, it just sounds like one of those perfect arrangements where you, you've got what's potentially a waste product and, and yeah. it's being used for good. What were you doing with it before? Well, that's that's the thing. So it's 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 like the perfect symbiotic relationship. So if if they didn't um, come and grab it off us, we'd have to go and take it to the dump or put it in green waste or find a place to compost it. And it becomes expensive and, and costs us to get rid of it. Whereas yeah. if he come and use it, it's a benefit to his cattle. Um, so if it's free for him and free for me, it's sort of it, we help each other out. So, you know, as long as I'm working here, the, the grain, the spent grain, will always be free to, to farmers. What a great scheme, and, and sounds like you've got a, a fantastic operation there. It's some great product. If we want to try 
um, some of your products? Or what's the best one to try, you reckon? Um, off the bat, if you're going for a gin, wild gin is our, our go-to, I reckon. It's one of the most popular and easy drinking. And if you're not a gin drinker and you want, want to sort of take that step into it, that's the one to start with. Um, Fantastic. That, just watch this space for a few years and we'll have some whiskey out. That was Charlie Schmidt, head distiller at Kangaroo Island Spirits. Ken now chats with elder stock agent Stuart Weir. Let's start off with your role as a as a stock agent there with elders. What does that actually entail? My role is a fairly traditional role with elders as a stock agent, where we we um, service a large number of clients buying and selling livestock for them, and then we also assist, or I also assist with a with a little bit of the real estate side of things with some auctioneering and just some inspections or whatever might be required at the time, and so. Uh, you're based on Kangaroo Island. D- does that mean you only sort of work with pastoralists sort of out that way? Uh, predominantly, I do have some clients that have properties both on the mainland and on the island. So I do service a, a few mainland accounts, but um, 95% is here on island. And so a normal day what would, would sort of involve what for, what for you? What, what's the sort of mix? Very seasonal on the island. So we, we're, we're a large prime land producing uh, area so this time of year springtime we're just kicking off now with our spring lamb sales and we're large sellers of store lambs very good high quality store lambs so um, a typical day now is is flat out just uh, drafting and assessing store lambs for sale and uh, taking the tops out for, for the trade and uh, I mean Kangaroo Island has had a an interesting history. You had the fires a few years back. Um, I imagine you probably had to see a few of your clients through a pretty tricky period there. We certainly did. Um, my counterpart, uh, Greg Downing, he's our livestock manager and he's based more at the western end of the island. I'm, I'm a bit more central and east predominantly. Uh, he probably had a larger impact directly, uh, both himself personally and his client base. Um, I did certainly have a large number of clients affected um, and myself, I was fine. The fire stopped three paddocks away from my property, um, so we're very lucky. But we would have spent uh, approximately a month where we were just purely dedicated to uh, either firefighting efforts or helping clients. Um, and then we shifted very rapidly into a, a phase of trying to get fodder in and find adjustment for stock to go out, uh, and then eventually turned into a phase of trying to, to buy back in again. And because the role of, of an agent like yourself in, in a time like that, I mean, you're almost a um, you know a friend and colleague of, of a lot of the people who you work with, aren't you? Like you're actually in there alongside them, t- trying to help them through through a difficult time. Well, that's right. It's it's business put to the side in. In, in those sorts of times, which I think in any area is 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 the same. I don't. I honestly don't think that would vary anywhere. Um, obviously, being an island, it was just a bit slower and harder to get some help over in the in the earlier days. Um, but yeah, you are just working alongside like like many other businesses are. Um, they're your friends and and your clients. Um, and even if they weren't your friends or your clients, you were there to help. It's just what a community does. Now, tell me a bit about your role as an auctioneer. How, how did you get into that? Uh, how, how do you become good at that? Um, is, is it just experience or did you just stand up one day and just, just start start doing it? 
it's a little bit of all of the above, and I'm not sure whether I've qualified as being good at it yet, but um, <laughs> I, I, I was very nervous to get going. Uh, I, I'd worked for Elders previously, probably back in the early 2000s, before I then went off um, with a bit of travel and then managing properties, and then which led me back to the island and then led me back to Elders again. And um, I, it was probably more just that there was a bit of a need here for, for some clearing sales. Our, our, our real estate rep was the, the only one doing any auctioneering. Um, so I, I sort of got shoved back into the role very quickly to, um, to have a go and help him out. And then I, I started enjoying it. So I've then uh, developed uh, just recently getting my licence in real estate for sales and auctioneering. So I'm now able to, to be a licensed auctioneer for real estate. Um, and I have done some some training on the real estate side of things with some terrific guys. Uh, but as for the livestock or clearing sales, it's pretty much just a learn on the job as you go. And if, if people wanted to get into that sort of side of thing, how would you recommend they do that? Uh, well, joining joining a great agency company like Elders is certainly um, the way to go if they want to do do general work. Um, there is plenty of training available through these companies, so they really do help you out if you want to do it. And and there is a big need for it. We're we're always needing auctioneers, so um, more more than more opportunity out there than than you might might realise. You, you just said you you went, came to Kangaroo Island as a result of travelling sort of around. So whenabouts was that, and, and how did you end up settling there? Well, we uh, just as a very brief. I, I started sort of. Uh, Post schooling, um, I, I went to work on pastoral properties, and have a great passion for the for the pastoral areas, um, and then that that moved into management. Um, my then partner at the time, uh, now wife, uh, we decided to travel around Australia for eighteen months, which was a just a, a terrific thing to do, uh, just to go and see as much as we could. Um, after that, we went into management, and then through connections there, we were offered a position on Kangaroo Island to a, a remarkable farm down the western end uh, uh, where we were tasked with helping the owners start up a, a very exclusive tourism enterprise and redevelop the farm. So that's that's what brought us to the island uh, with our two young children at the time about 12 years ago and uh, we've just loved the island ever since and, and um, uh, since bought a property of our own here and, and uh, you know, set our roots down here. We just love it. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your property and, and your own cattle operation. So we're running about 60 breeders here. Started with an Angus base uh, as we were sort of building up a um, little bit of crossbreeding with some black Simmental. And then just recently in the last couple of years, we've we've shifted over to the Speckle Park breed, uh, just crossbreeding with the Speckles, um, partly for a bit of fun, partly a bit of interest. They, they look like amazing cattle. Beautiful, quiet cattle with a with a terrific structure, and and a good yield straight off the grass, which which seems to be where the market trends are going now. So we've been playing with those, and 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 they're going really well. They they really are a, a wonderful breed, and um, the family enjoys having them. So we'll we'll continue down that path for a little while. We're we're really interested in this project you've got going with uh, Kangaroo Island Spiritual. It's not really a project, I guess, it, you, but. Um, Actually, taking the grain from the uh, or, or the waste grain, I guess, from from Kangaroo Island spirits, and then uh, feeding that to the cattle. I believe the cattle have, have taken to it pretty well. 
they have indeed. It did start as an experiment. Charlie's a, a, a wonderful guy, and the, the KI Spirits Company's a, a terrific company, and and they're doing great things. And we we're just talking to Charlie one day, and uh, and he just mentioned they were going to have this, you know, this uh, brewer's grain, and was wondering if he knew of anyone that might be able to make use of it to get rid of it. And I said, look, we've got cattle. Um, and I've heard of people feeding it out to cattle or, or sheep before. I said, how about I take a bit from you as an experiment and see how they take to it and see if we can help you out that way. Um, you know, it's sort of neither here nor there for us, but happy to, happy to help and see what it does. And, and the cows took to it, I think, within about three days. And, um, and now they just love it. They'll, they'll just come running in from the other end of the paddock when they, when they see you come out in the tractor with it on board and, um, yeah, they've really taken to it, and and in that time we've discovered that that we feel that it's actually doing them a, a lot of good, particularly over the the winter months while we've had the green feed, because there's not a great deal of value in this brewer's grain. It's really just fibre. All the starch and energies come out in the brewing process, so there's there's some protein in there, and then it's really just just fibre, and and that's been helping them. Um, on the, on the green feed, and I can see the cattle improving with it all the time. And I heard that there's even possibly a benefit in terms of lowering the uh, methane emissions. There is uh, a bit of our research has indicated that 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 is um, uh, that is the case. Now, now we're yet to be able to quantify that properly, um, but we will look in into that. So the, the benefits we see one is that. The spirits company, KI Spirits, they don't need to go and dump the product. So there's a great, great thing straight up. They don't need to, they don't need to go and dump that somewhere. Um, so it's not going into any landfill. We're making use of it. And then anecdotally, we're being told that, that will uh, reduce the methane. So there's, there's a double whammy there that the cows are getting a benefit. The environment's getting a benefit. Uh, or getting two benefits for the environment. So really, I can't see a, a lose out of it. It's that sort of symbiotic uh, relationship that you, people often form in the bush that, that just seems to work for everyone. Absolutely, that's right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at it as a as a potential hay replacement. I suppose is is what the what you would relate the, the brewer's grain back to. It's a very wet product, um, but essentially what's in there is just like a really really fine char. Yep. So whilst it's not going to uh, cut out our hay needs by any means, um, it's a, it, it'll just work in hand in hand um, on that side. And I'm going to use it for... Uh, so the trial mob that we used it on was with our, our wiener heifers. Uh, and I will... When I wean my next lot of calves, then I'll put them onto this as well because it's great for the handling because you're going out there every two or three days with the brewer's grain, uh, albeit a, a small amount, that brings them in and they get used to people and vehicles and, and quietens them down. So it's been really good for that. Hopefully you, you'll get a bit of uh, whiskey when the batch comes out as, as well. Yes, I, I have I have heard um, some hints that there, there'll be some little taste testing sessions to, to come along in time. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> And and the, the crew of uh, elders there on KI. So you, you said you've got uh, what three of you? Is it? There's three of us in the livestock side of things, uh, and then there's uh, we've got a um, you know the usual spread. We've we've got a couple in the merch department, a couple in the real estate side, 
a couple in the wall side, um, you know, insurance. It's yeah, we've we've got the the full gamut of staff over here, so we can we can sort of represent or help out our our, our clientele in all their needs. Brilliant. Look, thanks so much for your time. Uh, that's been that's been really helpful. Thanks, Stuart. Pleasure. Thank you, Ken. That was Kangaroo Island Elder Stock Agent Stuart Weir with a Vocag contributor, Ken Eastwood. And Elders are the platinum partner of the Vocag 2023 Down to Earth event, where we will explore how farming, tech, science and people collectively have the power to bring innovative ideas to life. And if you're interested in attending a Vocag 2023, come and see the Elders team in Adelaide, South Australia, on the 21st and 22nd of February 2023 at the Adelaide Convention Centre. Tickets are now on sale at evokegag.com. Thanks for listening today. My name is Steve Honor, and until next time, have a great day.